0: Today, we are completing our series called Winning the War in Your Mind. It's based on the book of the same title by Pastor Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church. And if you are here for the first time today, or maybe you've missed the last couple weeks, don't worry. We're going to do a recap on what we've talked about so far. Because in Craig Rochelle's book, what he does is he takes neuroscience. And God's word, the truth that's found in God's word, and talks about how we can win the battles that wage every day in our minds. And it's so cool, because as he's looking at modern science about what people are studying and learning about the brain right now, it's lining up perfectly with God's word, which makes sense, because God's the one that created our brain. so he knows how it works. And so he's working it together to help us, to give us an edge against the fights and the lies that we're facing, because going against the lies is the premise of the book you buy the book and you read through it, and I encourage you to do so if you have not yet. What happens is, is he asks you to first identify a lie that you've been told at some point in your life that that has shaped the way negatively that you've lived or you've perceived life or you've interacted with people or you've interacted with God. And so what I'm gonna do is as I walk through the recap of the, the first three of the four steps that Craig Rochelle talks about in order to win the war of the mind, I'm gonna talk about the lie that I have been fighting with since I was very little and the lie that I thought up whenever the book said, hey, what lie do you go through, pray through, I knew immediately. For me, the lie has been, since I've been very little, that I'm not good. And now maybe as I got a little older, it was, I'm not good enough. But it's around there. It's always been there, that you're not good. Whenever I do something, even if I do it okay, I walk off and say, maybe it wasn't good enough. I don't know where it started, but I know when it intensified. When my parents got divorced when I was 11, I really thought that I could bring them back together. I thought I could I could do the job. I could talk to dad, talk to mom, bring them back together and it'd work. I don't know if it's because I'm an overachiever at heart, or I just didn't understand marriage and still trying to figure it out to this day. But as 11 years old, had no idea what went into to their marriage. And so I assumed I could do this, and I couldn't. I, I did not get my parents back together. And in my mind, I failed. Which, looking back at an 11-year-old putting the blame on myself was probably not wise, but I did. I didn't know better, and it would was what confirmed the bias in my mind that I'm not good. See, couldn't even put my parents back together. So as I'm going through this book, that is the lie that I'm going to be sharing about and walking through. So Craig Rochelle says the first step is to identify that lie, and then we have to replace the lie with the truth. Why? Because lies have power. Lies have power to deceive us and manipulate us and make us do things that we normally wouldn't do because we believe in them. We've shared this quote the last couple weeks and I wanted to share it again because I just find it really interesting but also true. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. So for me, that's what was happening. Over and over, I would beat myself up or I would get upset at myself because I believed I wasn't good. So I needed to replace it with the truth that God has created us, that we are made in his image and that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die and rise again because of the relationship he has and he wants to have with us. So I had to replace the lie with the truth. Second step, and this is what Pastor Chris talked about a couple weeks ago it's this we must rewire our brains and renew our minds. Why? Because the more we believe in the lie, the deeper the rut forms in our minds. And so, what do we do if we have these ruts formed by lies? Well, when you're in a rut, dig a trench of truth to get out. So, for me, I started to realize that this rut ran deep. about a decade ago, maybe 11 years ago, I was just dating my now wife, Rachel, and I had known that this was a problem. I knew it because every relationship before this one, I would think as I enter the relationship, well, this isn't going to work out. She's going to find out that I'm not good at some point, and it's going to It's going to end, and it did, and now I would always assume once it ended, no matter how it ended, well, this was my fault, because she realized what I know, that I'm not good enough, and then I got into this relationship with with Rachel, and I knew in my heart, God was telling me, this is who you're going to marry, and I was terrified, because I knew she would realize someday, well, excited, I guess, too. I mean, (laughs) maybe it's bad to say terrified. It wasn't the only emotion, mind you, Jeez. Um... I was excited too, but I was thinking she's got to find out that I'm not good enough. And so every time I would mess up or screw up, and mind you, I was 24 years old in a dating relationship, so I screwed up and messed up all the time. When that happened, I went, see, I'm not good Things are going to end, and I'd have these panic episodes in my life. And so I needed to do something. I needed to find the tools. If you're digging a trench, you got to have tools. You can't just claw at it. You got to have some tools that to help you out. Well, I didn't have Craig Rochelle's book because it was only written a couple years ago. Did have God's word, didn't know how to apply it. So I went to a Christian counselor and I said, What do I do? How do I get past this lie? Know it's there. What do I do? Well, he started giving me the tools, and the tools come from God's word. He'd tell me that I'm more than a conqueror because of Jesus who loves me. He was telling me that even if Jesus had to come back and die and rise again for us one more time, he would still do that because of how much he loves us. That he created us, that we are his masterpiece. That he designed us specifically for a purpose that God will see to fruition because he loves us. So over and over I I was able to hear and have it ingrained in my mind the truth of God. So that was step two. Step three, we talked about it last week with Pastor Barry. It's this, we must reframe our minds and restore our perspective. Pastor Barry helped us understand what that means by saying reframing allows us to look past the old filters and lenses and to view the world in a completely new way. What it's saying is what these lies do is they give us an incorrect filter on which we view the world, where we view everything that happens. And so for me, the bias was saying that I'm not good. So everything that happened was seen through that lens. So even if, and at this point I was a pastor this time, I would give a message, walk off the stage and go, yeah, that wasn't good enough because everything I saw through that lens. So what happened? I needed to get a new lens. And so in counseling, what he talked to me about is what I was doing is I was seeing everything as if it was already done, as if I was a failure already. And it was signed, stamped, delivered, it was done. I was... A screw-up, I was a failure. But what he's saying is that God's not done with me. That when I do mess up, that doesn't define me. That God is continuing to to work in us until he comes back. He's continuing to make us into the image of his son. And so failures don't define us, but they help us understand how we can get better and grow closer to Jesus. So it started to shift my perspective and said, you're not good. So that wasn't good. That's okay. That wasn't good. How can we improve? And then step four, which really was the pivotal one for me. It was one that after we learned it, I was, for lack of a better term, discharged from, uh, from counseling. I was able to, to go about uh, my life because I had the tools equipped. And this is what Craig Rochelle says. And I didn't know these exact words at the time, but now I'm excited to share them with you. Step four is this. We got to rejoice, which means reviving our souls and reclaiming our lives. Practically, practically, what did this look like? I was told to go home from counseling and do an assignment. I had to make a list, right? A line in the middle. And on the left side, I had to write everything bad about myself. And on the right side, everything good about myself. Now, I was looking at it and I was saying to, to the counselor whenever he told me this, was like, don't you know that I'm just going to write bad stuff about myself? Like, don't you know that it's just gonna be one list down the middle and it's gonna be naked? And he said, no, trust me, go and do this. So I went home and I started to look at it. Okay, the bad things, the good things, the bad things, the good things. And I realized... I wasn't equipped to do it. So I called up my girlfriend and I said, Rachel, I have a great date for us. Um, we're gonna do some exercises for my counseling session, which is really the way to like, you know, like, uh, make sure that they're gonna marry you someday. So I, uh, I went over and I, with the list and I said, can you please tell me a couple good things about me? Because that way maybe we can get started. You're dating me, so maybe there's something you like about me. And so we started, we started writing something good and then something negative, something good, negative, something good, negative. And then eventually, the strangest thing happened. It was only something good. we were only writing on that good side. Now, this isn't to brag, mind you. This is simply to tell you about how good God is because we started to write down the blessings that God's given in my life and started to realize about who he is. And so I went back to counseling. I was really excited. I said, hey, you wouldn't understand what happened. You told me to go do this exercise. I thought it was the worst idea you've ever had. And now, look, there's good things in this column. And they outweigh the bad things. And he said, well, that's because all you do when you mess up or you screw up, you only focus on the negatives. All you're doing is focusing on the battles that you're facing and not the wondrous things that God's doing because God's already won battles. He's currently winning battles. He's going to in the future because of who our God is. And if you don't focus on them, you're just going to be stuck in the panic. You're just going to be stuck in the worry and the doubt because of where you're focusing. And so I was able to start to apply that. I had that list. I started to learn it over and over that our God is delivering us, our God is good and he's protecting us and he's with us. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And we can sum it up with this take-home point, the one point that this message is all about. It comes from Pastor Craig Rochelle's book, but more importantly, it comes from God's word because everything we talk about here at New Life comes right from God's word and it's this. When we praise God, we change our perspective and our brain. We change our perspective and our brain. So whenever I was focusing on the good side of the list and I was remembering that stuff, and not ignoring the bad stuff, but focusing and and thinking about the good things that God's done, it literally started to shape and change my brain. Now, I didn't know what was happening at the point, but Craig Gershaw's book has helped me to understand it more fully. You see, what was going on was I was panicking. I would start to think about the failures and the mistakes, and I would panic, and I didn't know why. And the reason is because we have something in our brains called the amygdala, and it's this little almond-shaped thing in our brain, and what happens is it controls our emotions and our survival, and whenever we're afraid, it lights up like a Christmas tree. And so whenever something scares us or we're about to be in a fight or someone is yelling at us, it lights up and it sends some adrenaline through our bodies, I'm Fortunately, our amygdala is not super smart. Here's the thing that I learned. The amygdala is not objective. The way it responds to a deer that steps in front of your moving car is the same way it responds to an angry text you receive. So when a deer walks in front of your car, which happens probably what, a dozen times a day, when that happens, your amygdala lights up and it sends some adrenaline through you and you're able quickly to turn the wheel or to slam on the brakes and you survive because it's your fight or flight reflex. However, whenever something comes at you that is in your mind, a lie that pops up that's of the enemy, for me, whenever something seemed to tell me, see, you're not good, your amygdala also lights up in defense. And what it does is it pours that adrenaline through you. But unfortunately, if you're not trying to turn a wheel really quick or you're in a fight, what happens is that adrenaline stays in you and it makes you end up feeling anxious and stressed and jittery and panic-filled. And so you don't know what to do because your body's telling you that you're in a battle and you're not sure how to respond. Thankfully, God is giving us something else to combat that in our minds. It's called the prefrontal cortex. And Craig Urshel kind of defines the differences between them this way. Think of your amygdala as your twitchy, amped-up, caffeinated always on always-on-edge, high-blood-pressure cousin. It's, it's good. It's a good way to kind of picture that. Uh, think of your prefrontal cortex as your thoughtful, level-headed, realistic, even-tempered uncle with a law degree. So you have these two people in your mind. You have your amygdala, which uh, I had to write it so many times that now I just remember as Amy G. Dalla, because that's how you can separate it if you ever want to know how to spell amygdala. So we have Amy in our brains, and we also have Mr. Prefrontal Cortex, and they are combating each other when something happens. So for instance, you might get a text, or someone might pull you aside and say, hey, I need to talk to you tomorrow. Or you get a text saying, we need to talk. And your amygdala goes, uh-oh, I've seen this before. Remember that girlfriend you had had before that says, we need to talk. I know where this is going to end. They're mad at you. Your relationship's done. And then your prefrontal cortex goes, hold on. You're not in high school anymore. It's fine. You're just going to have a conversation. You've had those before, right? And he tries to reason with you. Same thing in the middle of the night. If you're laying there and you hear a creak in the house, your amygdala goes, see, someone's robbing the house right now. And your prefrontal cortex goes, no, it's just the cat. And your amygdala goes, we don't have a cat. There's someone in the house. And your prefrontal cortex goes, just go back to sleep. If a burglar's already in the house, you're done for anyway, so just go and sleep. You're fine. If they've made it this far without making noise, I don't know what to say. And so they battle in your head to try to calm you down. So what do we do? Because when that panic happens, when we are filled with, with that adrenaline because a war's going on in our mind and we need to deal with it, we have to fill our prefrontal frontal cortex with the truth of God. We have to focus on the good things of him so that we can be better equipped, so we can equip literally our minds to fight against and to reflect against What is going against us? Because otherwise, when we're simply focusing on our issues, this is what happens. We get fixated on the presence of our problems and we lose our focus on the presence of God. When we're only focusing on that bad side of the list, with everything that's going wrong, we fail to focus on the goodness of God. We learned a little bit about this with Pastor Barry last week where he talked about the Apostle Paul. You see, Paul was in prison. Paul went to Rome, and he wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but went as a prisoner. But thankfully, God helped him to reframe his thinking, and he was still able to minister in his situation. And while he was in prison, he sent a letter to the church in Philippi, and when he did that, he gave them some instructions that we can take to heart today and apply when this panic comes. Because the key to what we're talking about today is when the panic comes, we must pray, We must praise God. We got to praise through the panic, not after it, but during. And we learn that from Paul. It says this Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. What he's saying in this letter is that God is with him right then. In prison, God is there. He wasn't saying, hey, wait to rejoice till I get out of prison. He's saying rejoice right now because the Lord is near. In the difficulties, in the panic, God is with us. The same message that the prophet Elijah had to learn in God's word. A long time ago, this man named Elijah, who had this great faith and did these amazing things for God, had just won a battle against the, the priests and the prophets of a fake God named Baal. And afterwards, the queen of that day was hunting to kill Elijah. And he got worried. He felt overwhelmed. He was filled with panic. So he ran away and he went to God and said, God, can you please kill me? Because if you don't, she's gonna come and kill me. Now that's not very rational, right? Like if worst case scenario, you die. And so you're saying to prevent that, why don't you kill me? I don't know. But that's what happens when panic goes in our minds. It tells us these things that we at the time believe, but they don't make any sense. So God said, listen, I wanna talk to you. Go on this mountain, I'm gonna converse with you. So he goes on this mountain and there's an earthquake and a mighty wind and a fire, And Elijah's looking, trying to find God in them, and he can't. And then he's in a cave, and he hears this gentle whisper from God, God telling him that he's right there with him. And now if you think about it, who whispers? Someone that is really close to you. If they're across the room and they're whispering, they're not whispering anymore. So the only people that can whisper are the ones that are right there. And so what God is saying is that he is that Close Elijah. And this is what Paul is telling us too that God is with us through all of it, through everything that's happening. God is present with us. And sure, sometimes we like the thunder and we like the fire. We like all of that. God to shake our lives so loud that we can hear him. But maybe, just maybe, what God is saying is he wants us to get quiet and still and away from the distraction and the noise so that we can hear his still small voice and we can hear his whisper. We could hear him reminding us that he is there and he is present with us. So our God is near through the panic. He's there in the panic with us right then. Paul continues in this letter to the Philippians. He says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And that's what we want. We want that peace. We don't want the panic. We want the peace. And how do we get it? We go to God. We speak with him. We listen to him. We praise him, no matter what is happening in those moments. And I know that we've talked about prayer a lot here, and there's a lot of different ways we can go to God, but no matter what ways we go to him, we can remember this. Investing time speaking and listening to God will change your perspective, your mind, and your life. All of them change whenever we go and we invest time with God. And even though we know that on some level it's true, we still get busy, don't we? I mean, I know for me, I do. We have two kids, I'm in school, I have a job, and sometimes it can feel like, well, I just can't, pray. I don't have the time. But something incredible happens when we do pray, especially I believe when we're filled to the brim with our schedule, when we're the busiest. Something that God does, and he's been hitting me over the head with this to try to teach us it. It says this, if I'm using 100% of my time without God, I'm much less effective than if I'm praying 10% of the time and releasing the other 90% to him. If I'm trying to do it on my own, my own merit, When everything's going crazy, especially, then I don't know where to focus. And I end up focusing on things that aren't of God. And I focus only on that bad side of the list. And without God, I don't know how to do life the way that he's designed us to. But when I invest time, when we invest time with God, no matter what time it is, it doesn't seem like the math works, right? If you're full up and then you use more of it to go pray, how will you get everything done? It works because God responds, God responds and he blesses us when we speak to him. He also settles our minds. He empowers that prefrontal cortex to be able to respond appropriately and he literally changes our brains. Dr. Newberg, who wrote this book called How God Changes Your Brain, said this, prayer is like a physical workout for the brain and changes its chemistry. See, our brains are always growing. They're always changing and evolving. They're always thinking new thoughts. And Once we think a new thought, it's easier to think that new thought again. And so whenever we're thinking a bad thought, it's easier to think that thought again. Same thing with the good thoughts. When we're thinking of things of God, and we think of it again and again and again, it gets easier and easier. This is why Craig Rochelle says this, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If our strongest thoughts are toxic and full of panic, our lives are going to go that way. But if our strongest thoughts are thoughts of God, we're going to go that way as well. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who studies the brain, said this about our prayer time. She said, it has been found that 12 minutes twelve minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in brain areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. It also increases frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. Literally, our brains change when we speak to God. Literally, God changes the makeup of our brain when we invest time with him. And so when our amygdala starts to let us know about everything that is wrong or could go wrong or might go wrong in the future, we combat that with the truth of God by going to him. And you see, what happens is when we don't go to God, we have these sinful thoughts where we're not trusting in God's power or his promise to deliver us. But when we are going to God and we're trusting in his power, we're trusting in his promise, we're reminding ourselves of the fact that our God is with us Our brains change. In her book, Bill Sheik's book, I Dare to Call Him Father, she said we either worry or we trust God. We never do both. It's never trusting and worrying. We're either trusting or we're worrying. And when we're trusting God, our life starts to move into the direction where God has intended us to go. And when we're worrying, we're pulled away from God. We learn about this in the book of Romans. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he said this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What it's saying is when our natural selves when we have the reins, we aren't naturally just gonna draw ourselves to God. We're gonna draw ourselves to selfish thinking. We're gonna draw ourselves to to us. And that happens with me. If I'm not focused on God, those lies seep back in. You're not good, this isn't good. And I start to think only negative thoughts and I start to panic. But when our thoughts are focused on God, He shifts us and makes us into who He has designed us to be. So what do we do? How do we combat the panic with prayer? Well, Craig Rochelle gives us this great illustration, this great exercise to do in his, in his book, and it's called The God Box. Now, I know. If you're hearing that for the first time, you might roll your eyes. That's what happened when I told my wife for the first time. The God box might sound silly, but I'm telling you, it's powerful. Let me, let, me, let me share a little bit about it. So what he's saying is to literally get a box, a cardboard box, wood box, whatever you want, put on it, God box. Now, you don't necessarily have to do this if you don't want to. You could just have it in your mind as the God box. And then whenever you have a thought that is a worry or a fear or a thought not of God or a doubt, Or you're saying something like, God, will my kids follow you? Will they come back to you someday? Or you're worried about your marriage. You're saying, I can't stop being angry. I don't know what to do. You write it down and you put it in the God box. You give it to God. And when you do that, you say a prayer like this. God, I'm trusting you with this. I know you are in control. I know you are bigger than this. This is not a thought I want to think. So I'm giving this to you. We put the paper in, we trust God. It's not like we just forget about it, but we allow God to lead in those situations. We stop worrying and we trust God. Cool thing about the exercise, if you ever want to worry about that thing again, you can. All you have to do is you reach into the box, you pull it out and you say a prayer like this. God, I don't trust you with this. I am going to take it back from you. (laughs) Maybe not the prayer you want to say. But it's a prayer that we do say, right? Like when we go, hey, God, I'm not worrying about this anymore. This is, this is what I do. I say, all right, God, in my life right now, current, current uh, situation, my brother, God, I want my brother to come back to you. Why is he not coming back to you? Did I do something wrong? I'm filled with worry. I give it to God. God, I give you my brother. I know that you're in control. You're working in his life. And then what happens 10 minutes later, you go, but what's happening and I start to worry again what I'm doing without thinking about it is I'm taking it back from the God box and I'm saying God I don't trust you with it I think I have the control and I have the answers but if we want to trust God if we want to praise and pray through the panic if we want to have that peace that he offers we give it to God and we trust him in that situation in all of the situations We remember what he taught to Elijah and he taught through Paul that God is near in all of those situations, in the good times, in the panic, in the hard times. And so we pray and we remember this. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And if it's on your mind, it's on God's heart because he loves us so much. He loves us so much that he wants to take those burdens and he wants to help us so that we're not full of this panic. He wants to rip that away from us so that he can be in control and lead us to who he's designed us to be. So he will guide us, he'll direct us and maybe that will be, all right, I need you to go and do this thing or I need you to go to this counselor but God will guide and direct us. So we go and we take everything to him. I love when Hebrews says that we can go to God's throne. It says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can go to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to his throne and bring our worries and cares to him. And when we do that, we rejoice. When we do that, we praise. Remember, we don't praise when it's done. We don't praise only when he's figured it all out, but we praise then. Just like when Paul was still in prison, we pray in that moment. Remember, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, in all situations. So we praise God through the difficulties, not only when it's done. Paul was able to do this while he was in prison because he was able to remember the last time he was in prison. This wasn't his first rodeo when he was in jail in Rome. He had been in prison before. Him and his buddy Silas, in fact, they were preaching God's word like I'm doing today and someone came up and and beat them and put him in jail. And it's recorded in the book of Acts. It says this, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stalks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Not only did God respond in this moment by breaking them out of jail, but the, their jailer came to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior that very night. So when Paul was in prison later on, he's able to remember what did God do. He was able to remember the victory that God brought them through before. Whatever war you're going through right now, whatever panic you felt before you came, or the panic that we might feel after this, let your mind be at ease, that your God is bigger than that issue, that he's able to defeat that problem, that he's not done with you yet, that he's still at work. Paul and Silas must have looked at each other at some point in jail, beaten and bloodied, and they must have realized, well, we're still alive. So God's not done with us. He's still moving. He's still working. So let's pray and let's praise him because of who God is. And so when they did that, it made that groove in their brain so that next time something bad happened, they were able to remember and praise God again and again and again so that whenever Paul is arrested once more for his faith, he was able to praise God still. It's this beautiful gift of memory that God has given us. Now, people generally believe that we have two types of memory. The one is episodic memory, which is like, if you remember something, it kinda comes through like an episode of a TV show. Like, so if I think about my wedding, I'm not just thinking of facts for my wedding, I'm thinking of my wife coming down the aisle beautifully dressed. But we also have this memory called semantic memory, which you can kind of picture it as this web of interconnecting ideas and thoughts. It allows us to access information really quick. So for instance, if you go to the movies, you might sit down and go, man, I'm really hungry for popcorn because our brains connect them. Or if I say birthday, you might think of, wait, what's the next birthday of coming up? Did I buy a present? Is the cake ordered? And you go through that because we have things that connect to one another. So what happened with Paul is he connected the panic, the hardship, the jail with praise so many times that every time he would go through something hard, he would rejoice in the Lord always because it became a habit, became ingrained in his brain. You see, the more we praise God through the panic, the easier it will get to recall his blessings during hard times. It's not magic. It's just how God has made our brain. And there is blessings, always blessings. Stuff that God has kept us from that we don't even know. The blessing of life right now. What God has taken you through right now, God can use for his mighty purpose. And so what do we do when we're panicking, when that amygdala is screaming at us? We go to our God box. We drop it off at him, and then we praise. We praise through All situations. And we live this out because the war is going to continue. The enemy is going to continue going against us. And the way to win that war is by giving to God and rejoicing in Him and allowing Him to win. So, if we want to do that, we could do that with this next step, which says, I will use a God box and rejoice through my panic and worries this week. As we get to the conclusion of our message series, Again, I understand that it's not the conclusion of all of our internal wars. I wish that could be the case, that we get done with the series, no more fights anymore in our brains, no more lies that we have to combat, but the truth is they're going to come. And when they come, we stay prepared. We stay ready to replace the lie with the truth. We stay ready to rewire our brains by digging that trench of truth. We stay ready to reframe and to get the right perspective and finally to rejoice to revive our souls, to reclaim our lives with the truth of God. And one of the ways that we can do that, of keeping ready, is by reminding ourselves of the truths of God. So I've included some truths of God in your outline today. If you didn't grab one, you can grab one on the way out. But I want to read them to you because these are ones that whenever I'm feeling low, when those lies start to overwhelm and I need to remember who I am because of who God is, these are the things that I must remember. I wanted to share them with you. You are not controlled by fear. You are not stuck. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to your addictions. You are not a victim. You are not failing. You are not unlikable. You're not unworthy of love. You are not your past. You're not what you did. You're not what someone else did to you. You're not who others say you are. You are not who your unhealthy thoughts say you are. You are not done. You are who God says you are. And because of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, listen, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are healed, you are new. You are redeemed, you are free, you are blessed. You are strong and mighty, you are chosen, you are empowered. You are a a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who saves us from sin and death. You are are gods he created you designed you and he wants to be in a relationship with you today if you're in here and you're saying well that's not true of me because i haven't given my life over to jesus today i want you to do that
1: the last four weeks we have talked about replacing rewiring reframing and now rejoicing But the only way that we can do these things is if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, because we could read all the self-help books in the world, but nothing's gonna make a difference because the only thing that gives real and lasting change within us is when we allow God to renew our minds and change us from the inside out. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here at New Life, we say it's simple, but it's not easy. It's as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior when we commit to following Him every day with the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, You can pray this with me right now you can either say these words with me or you can say your own words dear god i admit that i am a sinner and that i need you jesus as my savior i need you to help me rewire replace reframe, rejoice all the things lord i need you to make a change in me and my life and i believe that jesus is the son of god that He came onto this earth and that He died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He is my Lord and Savior. And I confess as a sinner in need of a Savior that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I commit to following Him every day of my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that I will become a new person with a renewed mind with Jesus in my life. And I love you, Lord praise you in Jesus' name.